welcome back to another edition of Sideline Sessions with Wesley Sykes. I am, of course, Wesley Sykes, the managing editor of Coach and Athletic Director, Training, Conditioning, and Winning Hoops Brands for Great American Media Services. You can listen to all of our previous episodes anywhere you can access podcasts, as well as any of our websites. That's coachad.com, training-conditioning.com, and winninghoops.com. And be sure to follow all of our brands on Twitter. That's at coach underscore ad, at train condition, at winning hoops. And then myself, as always, if you like, at Wesley Sykes underscore. And today, we welcome to the program Steve Flanagan and Arash Izadi, directors of LPA's Sports and Recreation and Higher Education Practices. Thank you both for taking the time to speak with us today. Our pleasure. Yeah. All Thanks right. For so, having uh, us. first, if you just tell us a little bit about yourselves, how you found yourselves in the athletic facility industry, and, and maybe what do you like most about it? You want you to start roll, Steve. You go. I'll, okay. I'll play second guy here. All right. Well, um, thanks again for having us. And I really found my way um, to this job uh, in, somewhat intentionally. I was a, a, a collegiate athlete who thought I was going to end up uh, uh, coaching a, a college or a professional team someday. Uh, I was a soccer player. But growing up, I, I played all sports. I love all sports. You can see behind me, I'm partial to soccer. There's an LA Galaxy jersey uh, right over my shoulder. And uh, that's signed by the team and season ticket holder uh, there. Love sports. And somewhere along the way in my collegiate career, I uh, abandoned that for the field of architecture. Now I get to combine my passions for both uh, athletics and design uh, by collaborating with Arash on sport and recreation projects. And so any uh, athletic or recreation project on a higher education campus, uh, I attach myself to that project and stay involved with it uh, passionately. Uh, then any projects uh, that in, involve uh, soccer uh, fields or facilities, uh, I ask Arash to allow me to participate in those, even if they're off a uh, higher education campus. <laughs> well, he, he asks me, there really is no choice there. He'll find his way into it one way or another. <laughs> uh, well, uh, and, and how about for yourself? Yeah, um, you know, I, I probably wasn't as purposeful as Steve. Uh, always a, a athlete, I, you know, maybe for some of your audience will get a little offended on this one, but I always played what I consider the, the off sports. Um, mm -hmm. And soccer being the exception, but, you know, soccer in the U.S., certainly not what it is in the rest of the world. Um, so I played soccer and I swam. Uh, water polo uh, was probably my biggest sport. Um, tennis, volleyball. Uh, all of those kind of uh, secondary sports. Um, my skill probably wasn't as good as my aspirations, unfortunately. Um, so when I got to college, really it was about, I, I wasn't going to be a student. Uh, I wasn't going to be the uh, athlete scholar of the year for sure. So uh, I had to focus on the educational side of things. And when I got into my professional career, um, there was a lot of, uh, uh, a lot of different types of projects and I always sort of gravitated towards the sports projects and started to work on a lot of education-based um, aquatic facilities, fields, stadiums, those kinds of things. And then did a, uh, um, a large sports uh, sports park actually for a city in Southern California. And that sort of was the game changer. I said, you know, why am I not doing this all the time? Mm -hmm. So worked with several in the company to start uh, our practice and um, and so ultimately, with the success there, really started to dedicate all my time to it. So I've probably spent the last 20 years of my career uh, focused on sports-related projects. And, you know, um, to some people, 
when you're doing a sports project, it's uh, um, doing a locker room. Right. They're mm-hmm. like, why are we why would I want to work on a locker room? And then to us, it's like, no, that's the Anaheim Ducks training facility. You know, that's like that's that's a that's a really great project. Right. So it was really I was on the the, uh, the latter part of that. I just yeah. got really excited by all those projects. And that led me to this. Yeah. And I think it's really, uh, you know, fascinating when I look at it from a, a fan's perspective over the last, I don't know, maybe a decade, maybe a little bit more so, but the explosion of, of not just, uh, you know, stadiums and facilities that, that uh, for, for athletics, but, you know, just the, the interest of, like you said, getting interest into uh, the locker rooms or where, you know, the college players hang out, uh, you know, in between yeah. or, or the weight rooms for so many people. And that becomes, you know, such a big, uh, t- you know, feather in the cap. I'm, I'm looking for the term there uh, for so many colleges when you're looking for a recruitment and, and that becomes, you know, uh, you know, it has to be a valuable uh, for you as a sports fan. And then again, in your business to be able to kind of have that impact, you know, on a, on a school or, or a college like that. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a unique thing, you know, on the professional side of things, you're paid to be there. Mm-hmm. So whether it's, you know, um, a brand new Jerry Jones facility or one of the older facilities um, uh, out there, you're, you're going to be there, right? You just got, you signed a contract, you're there, you're getting mm-hmm. paid to be there. So whether you like it or not, I mean, certainly you can renegotiate, you can go to another place, but it's all about the dollars for, uh, for at least for a lot of people on the collegiate side of things, you're paying to be there, right? Mm-hmm. Um, for the most part. Right. So how do you attract that talent? How do you get people to come there? So the facilities are a huge part of that. And I think that's where you're seeing some of that difference. Right. And that's why you see some of those facilities just exploding. Um, you look at LSU's locker room. You know, right. that's the perfect example. Right. Yeah. How do you not how do you not uh, point to that one? But that's the big difference, I think. Yeah, and, and when you go around and you speak with some of these universities about the, the projects, uh, you know, what are some of these extra amenities that that programs are looking to kind of get in, the, you know, maybe the bells and whistles of, of uh, you know, their, their athletic facilities, but again, weight rooms, locker rooms, that kind of gives them that leg up on their rivals, again, for, for any sort of purpose. Yeah, I think once upon a time, uh, things used, used to be utilitarian. Give us the, uh, the basics, uh, the space that we need and behind solid walls. Uh, and that slowly transitioned into being a real uh, display of their programs. So you talk about uh, bringing a lot of natural light into spaces, uh, spaces that uh, really show off the programs through uh, branding and graphics, uh, athletic facilities such as uh, football uh, training facilities often now have a different uniform for every game. So I know at Oregon, when recruits come in, the first thing they see is what the uh, Oregon uh, Ducks are going to be wearing for every single game of the next season. And the uniform is different for every game. It might be slightly different, but they have mannequins up and a display case. And so it's almost like going into a museum. It gets you very excited. It gets you energized. And and you see that the the university really has an amazing uh, commitment to your success. And I think the same is true. Uh, for the NFL uh, or a professional sports program because they're all fighting for a very small percentage of the top athletes. And so part of that decision-making process is developing a facility that will attract the best talent to their programs. I know that's what we talked uh, to the Anaheim Ducks at the Great Park Ice Project is it's a great location. So athletes want to live and work in this area. We have to have the facilities 
is the cherry on top when they come in and say, oh yeah, this is the nicest facilities in the NHL. I, and the weather is amazing. I definitely want to do everything I can to be a part of the Anaheim Ducks. Yeah, I see. Uh, um, there's that. That's almost like a very specific aspect of branding. You know, the branding mm-hmm. is a huge part of that. And the, the pro sports have always done that because they've sold that right now. The collegiate facilities are, are and even even you know K through 12 facilities and private facilities, all sure. of those. They've they've sort of caught on to that branding idea. Big thing I'm seeing a lot of is I call it the Tom Brady effect. You know, um, where how are you? ultimately the long-term prospects of your career, how are you going to be 40 something and still be an athlete and getting paid to to be an athlete and so on? Well, the nutritional aspect of it, Mm -hmm. you know, um, how you recover the food you eat, how do you test to see if your, all your things are right. You know, um, when you're injured, how do you recover? How do you prevent those injuries? I think we're seeing a shift from um, managing injuries to preventative Mm-hmm. kind of uh, approach. So that nutritional aspect, that whole training and recovery facilities, um, those are a real big part. And then we're seeing a lot of things related to sort of the um, um, team rooms, social spaces where people can connect. Um, it's, it's uh, you know, with, with recreation centers, we always talk about you come in to uh, connect and um, and deconnect right mm-hmm. uh unconnect uh, it's sort of that same way how do you manage to how you how are you with your uh, peers and your uh, other folks but it's not just about the sport anymore right you've done your you've done your training you've done all those things you've done your recovery now you go and sit on the couch and you know have a bag of peanuts right um <laughs> so we're seeing a lot of that nutritional recovery and then these social kind of aspects you know, and, that, and that's interesting that you bring up the, the, the nutritional recovery aspect. And, and again, I love the allusion to Tom Brady as a Massachusetts guy myself. You, you won me over already with that. But uh, you we, know, I we, think... we might not get along there, though. I'm not uh... sure. <laughs> well, he's out of the league now, so I think we can put it, put it all to bed, right? <laughs> exactly. Uh, but you know, I think uh, when, when you talk about kind of protecting your investment, right? So if you have these yeah. programs of these athletes now with millions of dollars coming in on, on the college level, you know, on the prep scale on some levels, yeah. you know, millions of dollars as well. Um, and, and the NIL is coming in that I feel like that kind of plays a factor too. So you have all this money kind of built up of this infrastructure around your, your student athletes. So it's would be in their best interest to have, again, protect that at, at most cause and, and pour as much funds as you, you would into other yeah, things. So I, I think that makes sense to me. Absolutely. Well, there's a big focus on it too. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, I ran into Ronnie Lott a while back at, a, at an airport and he and I were, were chatting and he was on his way down. He's on the you know safety committee for the NFL. Right. I mean, there's mm-hmm. all this focus on safety and and you know, it's, it kind of poured out from the concussion issue and the mental health issues. Sure, and now yeah. it's sort of translating into everything else. You get a there's a real focus on that safety aspect of things and a broader term for safety, not just, hey, I just fell and. You know, right. I broke my arm. Uh, it, about really that well-being aspect. That's the tr- that's the reverse trickle down we're seeing from the recreation side of things to athletics. Recreation's always been about holistic wellness. Mm-hmm. Athletics has always been about performance, right? But you're seeing that reverse trickle down happening, uh, which is interesting. Well, I think one of the reasons you're seeing that is because when owners 
and fans can appreciate Tom Brady for 10 extra years because of additional health yeah. and wellness yeah. uh, components to their program, it starts to pencil out. Oh, if we provide all these extra amenities and procedures and processes that allow our star athletes to be competitive for an additional 10 years, that's a win-win for everyone. Mm-hmm, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, and I think that's that's a great point now. And when, when you, you talk about um, you know, schools and, and other organizations about, again, new athletic facilities, you know, maybe, maybe more uh, broader to, to the stadium, to the arena aspects, you know, wh- what are some of the things that they're looking for from the fan perspective? You know, we're kind of getting the, the inside, the student athlete perspective, but when they're looking for fan engagements, you know, wh- what type of um, trends are happening as far as the, the stadiums and, and uh, arenas? I, I saw it happen with Levi Stadium first. Mm-hmm. You know, Levi Stadium was, uh, well, I think uh, um, Dallas Stadium was the first billion-dollar stadium, right? And then Levi Stadium right. sort of took that to the next level. And when I when I, I always asked about what was the cost driver, they said it was this technology piece. There was even going to be something where you could, I don't even know if it finally still does it or not but you were going to have an app that told you where the rest bath closest bathroom was right mm-hmm. there were these kinds of they spent a lot of money on that technology infrastructure and you see that with the nfl and nfl always gets criticized that says well in order for me to get a super bowl i have to have a new stadium but they come back and always say no it's not about that it's because it's become such a large thing that only new stadiums can actually um, have the facilities to support this kind of thing that's mm-hmm. why you know places like Jacksonville struggled so much for the Super Bowl, but then you had something like you know Levi Stadium that pulled it off with, without a hitch. So there, you're you're seeing a lot of that technology side of things um, that support the fan, how you order your food, how you know. Right. There's always been the sight lines and the visibility and stuff, but really getting into this upper level of things with the suites and um, you know pri- whatever makes you feel special. Um, mm-hmm. Look at uh, SoFi Stadium. You know, you pay a certain dollar amount, and you're in this area, and it's not unapproachable. It's not unattainable. That's a relative term, you know, right, when, right. We, when we talk about sports. <laughs> right. Especially but you know, what, the Super Bowl. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, what was once reserved for Jerry Jones and his friends, you know, are now you can pay a certain amount, and you can get in there, and your drinks and your food and everything's part of the all-inclusive deal, and you got special access to areas and things like that. That's where we're seeing a lot of those. Um, I saw it at uh, SoFi has it, you know, um, the Death Star in, in Vegas has it. Right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, you're seeing that in a lot of new facilities. Yeah, well, yeah, and, and I think it's interesting because you mentioned, you know, it's not just for the Jerry Joneses of the world, although you might be able to get, you know, that type of fan experience out of a seat. But I think there, you're also maybe seeing uh, uh, stadiums having different tiers of that. So I know yeah. uh, as Gillette, Gillette Stadium, for example, with the, with the Patriots, you know, they recently or you know, within the last five or six years, took out a portion of their back end zone and opened it up as kind yep. of like a, a hangout bar congregation area. So you can kind of be right along on the field action. And again, it's another you know game experience that you're kind of offering that may not be uh, a sweet level price per se. Yeah, it's a little bit of that Arrowhead Stadium effect, right? You had this one little open area. Mm-hmm. It started with sort of festival seating, then it started to turn into the bar area, then it turned into a family area. You're seeing a lot of that happen in a lot of stadiums now. Well, once upon a time, it was just about watching the sport. And you right. had to be a real sports fan because there was nothing else there. Now it's a total experience, an entertainment experience. 
uh, not a sports experience uh, for any any person to come and enjoy, whether you enjoy that particular sport or not, you can come. It's just like a big party. There's a little bit of everything for each individual person. So if they're not really interested in the sporting activity, they're going to the uh, the common area or the bar area uh, to hang mm -hmm. out and see a little bit of the game and, and be engaged uh, sort of passively as they're participating in something else that's even different. That's why places like SoFi now are a total entertainment destination mm -hmm. where there's uh, hotels, there's concerts, uh, venues and support facilities that are right there adjacent to it. So it's really now become major entertainment and not just a sporting event. Yeah. And, and you mentioned that the sight lines too, and everything, you know, I think that even, you know, becomes less of a factor when you talk about jumbotrons and, and, you know, we've mentioned the uh, Dallas stadium, AT&T stadium so much already, but, you know, going the length that they have, you know, is that something that you, you hear from athletic directors, you know, jumbotron video boards or display boards or things uh, of that yeah. nature? You know, the big thing we hear, I, I'm going to take it back a little bit is about safety. Mm -hmm. That is really the big thing now, both from a fan's standpoint and from a um, from a player standpoint. On a fan standpoint, when you're at the pro level, that's a different thing. But when you're looking at the collegiate thing and really as it trickles down even a little lower uh, to sure. lower levels, the separation of visitor and home. Right. And how you access those things. So dealing with a lot of those issues that we see um you know disgruntled fans and and parents a separation of parents and student athletes mm -hmm. right half the half of our effort now is how do you keep the parents from not gaining access to the kids during an event both even <laughs> physically visually sure. uh, acoustically you know all of those things um and then uh really from a athlete's perspective the performance of the play surfaces um we're seeing a you know, at the college level, the um, safety of athletes is so important, right? Because if you something happens there, they can't go into the pros, right? Right. Um, on the pro level, it's ironic because you they spend so much on these athletes. But I have been on pro fields where I've just looked down and got I wouldn't let my middle schooler play on this field. Yeah. I can't I can't believe this is even here, you know, but it's all about funding because they have to change those fields out for different events and things like that on the um, let's say K through 12 kind of or even the public um, uh, facilities. Uh, we see a lot of it where it's about um, when something goes wrong did you do everything you could to protect the health and well-being of that mm -hmm. of that athlete right so that's why you're seeing those facilities being designed to sort of a different level you know so that's something we're seeing a lot of and then going back to the fan experience part of it you see that even, we, we keep talking about pro facilities but you know not all of us are at pro facilities right. um the weekend soccer tournaments you know how do you create facilities where people can hang out there all day long, right? Mm -hmm. And be part of that that fan experience where you got your five-year-old playing, you got your 15-year-old, you know, in a tournament, and then you got um, the grandparents over in the, the food area, you know, right. <laughs> kind of yeah. thing, right? Yeah, I mean, and, and, and I see it all the time at the, uh, the youth and recreation level. Of course, hockey is such a big, uh, you know, sport in, in the Northeast and Massachusetts in particular here. But, you know, some of the new, um, you know, the new hockey arenas that are available there with multiple rinks. And again, you have all these different kind of a, a Wi-Fi lounge area, TV and, and, 
and uh, you know yeah. plenty of options for the food court not necessarily just you know fried food options there's so it's a, a wide variety of things um and again like you know any any hockey parent will tell you you're on a weekend tournament you're traveling out of state everywhere so to have a place where you're at for the whole time and again to have that level of comfort has to be huge well, and even tracking that, think of uh, half the stadiums I go to now, when you're in the concessions line, there's a little happy face and sad face, mm-hmm. right? When you come out of the restrooms, there's the happy face and the sad face yep. or a rating kind of thing that you do because they want to tie that back to fan experience. If if you can't get your food and you're not missing the game and you're standing for a quarter waiting to get a hot dog, that's a terrible fan experience. You're not mm-hmm. going to come back. Um, designing a, a, a sports park or tournament facility you know, if your parking is too far away and you have to lug all your stuff three fields away to get to where you're going, you're not going to come back. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. So that's a huge part of it. Yeah, at the Great Park, we designed um, a sports bar uh, that's in between two sheets of ice so with glass. So you can go in there and have a meal uh, and watch your kids practice or play as opposed to maybe going away or being uh, having to sit out on the ice where it's a little bit colder. So there's options there for uh, parents or other people that are there um, for whatever reason so that they can maybe do a little shopping. They can go in and have a drink or a snack or even a meal. Uh, and so they really are becoming uh, more destinations. And you had asked earlier about the the jumbotrons and all mm-hmm. the digital technology. Yeah, that's something that every client that has any kind of sporting venue wants to talk about, whether it's a jumbotron or a large uh, digital uh, scoreboard. Uh, so with technology allowing that to be more and more affordable, it's things that people want. Even the outdoor sporting events, a lot of times around the uh, the main building or the center of that sporting event, so have a big jumbotron where they uh, show athletes in action and advertising. Uh, they right. utilize that for double duty, both for the sporting event as well as advertising dollars. Now, now shifting to, to some athletic training facilities, uh, gymnasiums, uh, uh, recreation centers, you know, what what do you see there as kind of shifting out and kind of looking over some some literature that you guys were able to provide, you know, more more open space for uh, availability for classes, which I feel like was, was a trending that was kind of shifting towards this current age with the, you know, being able to uh, plug into Peloton for, for an example yeah. or something like that. Uh, but, but what are you seeing when you, when you talk to clients as far as uh, athletic training facilities? We just did a session at a uh, um, uh, firm athletic business, actually um, mm-hmm. at the conference, it was an educational session on, we called it the next big hit following trends or discerning between fads and trends. Um, and it, it came up very well. It was well, well attended and we had a lot of feedback and everything on that. And some of the takeaways, we actually co-presented with um, the uh, directors, associate directors from Wisconsin and from Clemson. And the big takeaways were the, the huge explosion of outdoor recreation um, mm-hmm. at the recreation level. Um, what used to be sort of a back of house where you rent and rented a tent, you know, now is up front and, and you've got facilities, both formal and informal, uh, the wearable technology. Right. That's, that's probably the biggest, I think, shift in design is the going away from the infrastructure to where you're able to, you had to plug in everywhere. Mm-hmm. Right. And your equipment was tied to a specific location to the, you know, this, this, the Wi-Fi world. Right. And being able to track all your stats and update all those stats, which then again ties back to the nutrition aspect of 
of things. Mm-hmm. Um, the big trend, functional fitness, right? Uh, what used to be these very defined spaces is now flexible spaces because functional fitness, it's a tire, you know, it's just some embeds in a wall. Right. It's, uh, you know, it's a speed ramp. Um, it's those kinds of things. Um, and those are very flexible spaces. So part of the takeaway on that one was how do you create these flexible spaces that are still engaging, that are exciting, mm-hmm. that, um, that you still want to be in, you know, as opposed to just this empty room where you're going to go in there and kind of go, okay, like, what am I supposed to do now? Right. You know? <laughs> so. Yeah. That's for us as designers, uh, uh, blurring the, the lines between specific training areas. So in lieu of having uh, your gym is over here, which maybe has a basketball court in there for a basketball team. And over here is the Nautilus or universal machine. And then over here, we may have a track that's isolated within, you know, walls. Now those are all coming together. So we're designing much bigger, wide open, flexible spaces with different types of training inside that large space, which is exciting because you might be, working out and lifting weights and seeing somebody who's using a speed machine mm-hmm. or, or some uh, hit fitness where they're, they're doing a uh, high interval training. Uh, so there's a lot of different activities going on and that creates a lot of excitement and, and buzz as opposed to being in a smaller, more contained area where you can't see out and nobody can see what you're doing. Mm-hmm. And, and again, I, I, I see like a lot of allusions to, uh, you know, is, is popularity to, to CrossFit and, and maybe to this, this tactical type of training, outdoor area, fitness type of um, approach. And, and how, is that type of style being adopted at all? Do you see it in, in that athletic, athletic world? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, think about it. I, I, I met uh, Jerry Rice a while back and then mm-hmm. I, there was a whole special on him and they talked about his training regimen to the point where the trainers for the Niners were going to him and say, you need to stop. You need to slow down. There's no way your body can take this level of thing. But he was doing his regular workouts and then he would go and there's a hill in San Francisco that he would go and run and he would take some of the wide other wide receivers and running backs and stuff with them. And they were dying and he'd get to the top and he's like, all right, let's do it again. And they're like, what? You know, kind of thing. But he was doing that functional fitness before it was it was really a thing, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so it's always happened. It's just become much more formalized and it's definitely trickling down into the uh, athletic side of things beyond the personal rec side of things. Um, you know, the other thing we're seeing a lot of is that gender and privacy. Mm hmm related things there's facilities that we may have just designed just a few years ago which one of the first things that a lot of facilities are looking at is renovating their locker rooms right you know universe one trend takes you to universal locker rooms where you've got cohabitated spaces and then private things that sort of surround it Mm -hmm. to where you have traditional but then you have a whole slew of other you know we there's a million names for them for family changing rooms to you know airport restrooms to whatever you want to call it you know Mm -hmm. there's a variety of, of things and then that privacy aspect of things that even go beyond that um i think we were at university of oregon and they have a their aquatic facility and they have an upstairs with a bunch of glass that you can look down into the aquatic. Well, there are certain times of day when they have um, uh, females, female swim only times where they actually close all of those um, pieces. So people can't sit there and and it's just a privacy 
uh, issue. And that helps attract the non-traditional users too, you know, when people feel more comfortable. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and I think you, you touched on the, an interesting point that was going to lead to my next question and is identifying, uh, you know, what is a, a trend that's going to be here to stay and long lasting that would be worth, uh, you know, a, a, an organization investing dollars into a lot of dollars into what, you know, maybe uh, going waste, like you mentioned, with the, with the locker rooms or the bathrooms there. Mm -hmm. I think wearable technology is huge. Yeah, that's not going to go away. What I see is with things that tie less to the built space um, and more towards non-built space. Non-built space are things that that trends that stay. The mm -hmm. fads are ones where you have to specifically build something for the singular use. It's the Alton Brown um, thing of the unitasker, right? right. It's, it's your, everyone learned their lessons from uh, racquetball squash courts. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> everyone just looks at us and go, what do I do with this now? Yeah. You know, we need two, not 12, you know, kind of thing, <laughs> right? So you're seeing a lot of those, the wearable technology, obviously, um, outdoor recreation, I mentioned that, both from a training and from a recreation aspect, sure. we're seeing a lot of training happening outdoors, um, especially with pandemic related issues and, and those kinds of things and you know, HVAC systems and air quality right. and all of those things. Um, seeing a lot of those and then the privacy issues. I don't think that's going to change. Mm -hmm. I think that's going to proliferate because it doesn't matter what your personal um, uh, gender relationship is or anything like that. Who wants to be standing in a locker room naked next to someone else? Yeah. <laughs> that's what it boils <laughs> yeah. down to, I think. Yeah, that's, that's what it boils down to, right? <laughs> if I can have my own room to do what I need to do, I'd rather do that. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> well put. Uh, but I, what I will ask, and this, this might be a, a half-joking question here, but as we see the rise, of, of course, with wearable technology and, and the rise of, of the internet and social media and everything over the last dozen years, does the metaverse play uh, any role in this way down to the future? Or do, do you see uh, any sort of, uh, you know, uh, augmented reality, virtual reality, fitness kind of uh, working its way at all into uh, the athletic uh, training facilities? Uh, I, I don't see how it doesn't. I don't know if we're, we're clearly not there, <laughs> you know, um, but I don't see how it doesn't. I mean, think about the, the Peloton piece, right? Uh, that's a brand. Uh, think about something like F45. Um, uh, all of those kinds of things are intended to connect you with people in other places, connect you to other places mm -hmm. and allow you to do things on your own time, right? Um, as we leave the office world and you're working from home and flexible hours and, you know, all those things that happen, um, I don't see how it doesn't. Now, I can't imagine having a pair of goggles on and, and you know, doing something in that sense yet because we're just not there yet. Sure. But how does that not eventually become a norm um, and then taking you into the next level where you feel like you're swimming in the water, you know, and doing yeah. those things and getting that resistance type uh, thing. I, I don't see how it doesn't. Yeah, but. it's coming about. They were already using that in some places. I know Stanford University had some 
uh, virtual reality stuff to where a quarterback could get uh, much more reps right. uh, and and seeing reads and uh, and understanding uh, different formations as opposed to going through it uh, live and then they could they could also exercise that live but imagine if you can uh, sit in your room and get a hundred reps uh, as a quarterback or as a, a wide receiver or a, a linebacker uh, instead of watching TV. Uh, or maybe looking at TikTok, you're looking at uh, reads. Uh, and so I definitely see, and you know, maybe that's why Tom Brady has been so successful and some other uh, older quarterbacks is they're using some kind of virtual technology that's allowing them to practice even when they're not on the practice field. Well, think about it. If you're not, on, when you're on the practice field, there's only so much they can track. They, mm -hmm. You know, it started with filming, right? Um, then there's maybe a little bit of technology that you've put on to track certain things, heart rates and, you know, so you're watching all of those things. But when you're in a clinical cell, I'll call it a clinical setting, but when you're in a, sure. a confined environment, you know, it's the, it's the Super Bowl commercial where the guy had, they made him wear the suit and he would get invisible, you know, yeah. as he was playing <laughs> football, right? It's, it's that they can track and they can see every motion that you're making you know, how quickly your arm is accelerating, how slow, quickly it slows down, the angle of your arm, right. the, the, think about, I mean, you started with golf, right? With the indoor, with the swing, you know, sure. tracking that swing and those kinds of things. You have a much more refined way of tracking that data, analyzing that data, and then giving you real-time input um, versus, uh, uh, you know, just happen to have a coach standing there watching you, you know, uh, outside. Right. It's yeah. a it's a completely different thing. Yeah. You go to any pro golf tournament now and you go watch them warm up. It's every single golfer just about has technology uh, that's telling them every single thing that they're doing uh, and they analyze that and they make adjustments. And so uh, it's only going to grow from there. It started with fishing in the fish finder, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, and the, and the inocular, right? The the monocular there for the, the golf finders, all that stuff, right? Now, uh, now, now you're stealing signs in, in World Series games, right? It's uh, we, we've come so far over <laughs> yeah. there. But, yeah, but so it it does feel inevitable in that sense. And I, I want to thank you both for your time here. I want to be mindful of it. But before I uh, let you go here, uh, is there uh, is there one project that you've worked on recently that that comes to mind that you you're both really proud of, uh, and maybe just a little little description? of that before we go you steve okay well of course i'm going to mention uh the great park uh ice project which is four sheets of ice and the owners of the anaheim ducks uh henry and susan samueli uh funded this project it's a community project even though i mentioned it's for the anaheim ducks it's really to promote ice sports in southern california and it's a phenomenal facility that blends the, the amazing benefits of ice sports with the amazing uh, local uh, climate and environment that is Southern California. So there's 67,000 square feet of beach and park area out in front of the building. So you can enjoy activities inside and outside, including outdoor training for ice hockey players um, in, in you know the beautiful Southern California sunshine as well that. as a, a sports bar and a pro shop and just a cool place to come and hang out even if you're not going to participate in the ice sports it includes curling uh, it's a regional uh, practice facility for US figure skating six of the Olympian Olympians this year in figure skating train at the Great Park Ice project including our gold medal uh, men's uh, single 
performer so wow. our athlete and so very proud of that project and uh, and glad that we could be a part of it you know mine's probably not as clear-cut because i there's so much uh different types of projects um one recent project was a texas uh uh high school which is you know a pro facility in the rest of the world right, right. <laughs> because yeah, it's texas seriously. athletics um but it's just the comprehensive nature of that where we looked we worked we redid the entire stadium uh, we built an aquatic facility for them practice field gym all of those kinds of things uh and just going to a friday night lights game there was just it was a really neat experience it really mm -hmm. was you know um to looking at some private facilities where you know, we uh, designed one for a private group in uh, um, north of Dallas. Uh, and it's uh, both an outdoor tournament, uh, long field facility, uh, 12 uh, fields plus a premier kind of field, and then an indoor tournament facility that was several hundred thousand square feet of 12 basketball courts, wrestling rooms, uh, indoor tracks, um, uh, field house building, all of those things. Um, and then, you know, bringing it back home, uh, Victor Valley College, looking at a, a college in the high desert, smaller community and the investment that they put in that and created a really a joint use facility because it's got a whole conference educational component to it. So it just depends, but uh, you know, some of these projects, um, that's the fun part when you get to see the athletes playing on them at the end. It doesn't mm -hmm. matter if it's small or big. It just, Absolutely. It's, it's neat. Good reminder of what you got into it in the first place, right? Exactly. I love exactly. it. Well, thank you both for taking the time out to uh, speak with us today. And uh, just a quick reminder, if you want to follow any of our brands on Twitter, uh, that's at coach underscore AD, uh, at train condition, at winning hoops, and then myself, as always, if you like, that's at Wesley Sykes underscore uh, you want to be following those accounts to get a first look at who our next guest will be. But uh, until then, next time, until then, sports fans, my name is Wesley Sykes, and uh, thank you very much for listening to another edition of Sideline Sessions. Thank you. Thank you.